0: Alright, we are in our series called Break the Mold, and so get your Bibles out if you would, or your phones, whatever you use, uh, to follow along, take notes, Facebook, whatever you like to do during this time. Uh, I'm going to read part of the verse here in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, to set us up. And it says this, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. I have a question for you. How many of you guys already hate where this sermon's going? Why do I say that? It's because many of us, we we don't always see this happening in our life, do we? We want to live peaceably with all. And yet, so many times we find ourselves in situations where we're trying to live peaceably and it just doesn't seem to be working out. Would anybody be so bold to admit that maybe you've had that happen in your life before? Okay, I've got my hand up right now. All right, a few people, four or five. The rest of you guys can just go home right now because I'm not speaking to you evidently. But no, we all have those times when we're trying to live peaceably. And it just doesn't seem to be going that way. I've got a situation in my life where uh, I've got some. Have you guys ever had somebody offended at you before? I've got one of those in my life. All right, again, three people. Okay. Uh, it's the same three people uh, as before. No, I've got one of those in my life where, and I've looked at my, have you guys done this before? I've looked at my heart. And I can't find anything wrong in there. I've looked at my actions, and as I'm looking at my actions, I'm not seeing anything wrong. So I go and I seek some counsel, and I start asking some friends, some godly wise counsel, here's the situation, what do you see? And they're saying, no, I'm not seeing anything wrong, and yet there's still an offense. How many of you guys have ever had that happen before in your life? What do you do in a situation like that? Somebody might call that a toxic relationship. And, and so what do we do when we have a relationship that feels toxic, that feels frustrating, that feels maybe even not so that extreme, that feels a little bit of an annoyance to us? What do we do with that? Because it seems like that if we're doing everything right, if we're doing what we should be doing, that our relationships should be smooth. How many guys have ever felt that way before? It's like, I'm doing what I should be. My relationships should be smooth. And yet it's not always the case. So we've been following along with the story of Jacob. And if you haven't caught the last couple messages, I encourage you to do that. Um, we've been following Jacob and Esau and their story. And we know that they had some tough times. They did not have good relationships. In fact, uh, Jacob, some might say, was kind of horrible in those situations. And so he goes and he tries to get away from that. And he finds himself last week at a place called Bethel that he named Bethel because he had an encounter with God. And so at this point forward, he decides, I want a fresh start. How many you guys are so thankful that God gives us a fresh start? And so he decides, I'm going to have a fresh start. And even though he's been horrible at relationships in the past, he really wants to start this off right. And so he goes to look for a wife. And as he's looking for a wife, all of a sudden he sees this really beautiful lady that all of a sudden he just is smitten with. He wants to marry. And so he goes and he tries to ask her hand in marriage of her father. So we see this in Genesis chapter 29, verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So get this. This guy is so in love with this girl that he says, I will work for you for seven years at the shot of having your daughter's hand in marriage. How do you guys think he's all in at this point, right? I mean, he's over, head over heels, right? And so Laban said... It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. And so listen to this. It says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now, prepare yourself for this next statement, okay? It says, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Yeah, all of the romantics in the room, just go ahead and just say all right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it again, okay? Some of you guys were kind of shy, but you wanted to, so let's go ahead and let's do this again, okay? So Jacob served seven years, seven years for this lady, and they seemed to him but a few days. I'm not done, though, because of the love that he had for her. There you go. And so you think everything should be going right. I mean, everything should be happening. He's done everything that he can do. He served seven years for this girl, and now everything, and they just seemed like just a few days. I mean, everything's going right. He's finally got relationships clicking on all just running all cylinders now. Things should be going well. But then something happens. On the wedding night, the father, the father of the bride, instead of giving his youngest daughter in marriage, he switches it up. And switches her out with the oldest daughter. Now, he didn't really like the older daughter very much at all. And so he was not pleased with this. How many of you guys know that's a bad day, right? That's a real bad day. Seven years, now you got this problem. And so even though he's done everything he can do, even though everything's right, it's still he's running into a toxic relationship, a frustrating relationship. And so Jacob, throughout his life, he had trouble with his brother he had trouble with his, his parents. He had trouble with his father-in-law. He had trouble with his wives, because later on he gets a couple of them. By the way, fellas, one is enough, okay? That's enough. We kind of learned that as Scripture fell, you know, developed, but it was like, this is just too much, okay? And so what do we do when we have these situations? So what I did is I thought I'd go to the Internet, which is the source of all wisdom and knowledge, And find some information for us to follow after. And so if you have some of this on your Facebook right now, uh, I didn't stalk you to get it. I did a random search. So just that I'm not stalking you if this is you. But there's some of the advice that I've found on the Internet by just a a basic search. So let's look at, at some of them. It says, letting go of toxic people is a major step towards being happier. Now, how many of you guys have actually experienced this in your life when you do cut off some toxic people? There is a little bit more happiness as it comes in, you know? And so this is one piece of advice that, that happens that, that's like, okay, well, maybe this is good advice. Now, there are times in our life where we have to let go of some situations, some, some serious situations where it's like, I can't keep walking this direction. It's just not healthy. And there's another one, though, and it's, it's this next one. Let's roll this next one. Eight toxic people you should just get rid of. Number one, those who spread negativity. Number two, I got some amens going on right now already. There's, there's seven more, hang on. Those who criticize you all the time. Those, <laughs> those who waste your time. Hold on, I'm not done preaching the sermon. Those who waste your time. Those who are jealous. Those who play the victim. Those who don't care. Those who are self-centered. And those who keep disappointing you. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you guys would have anybody in your life if you got rid of all these kinds of people? There'd be nobody left, okay, because we've all been negative, criticizing, we've all done all these things, and so if we just follow after this worldly advice, which simply says you got to get rid of all these people are toxic, get rid of them, and if you get rid of them, you're going to be happier. We got one more, it says this, value the people who love, respect, and trust you the most, and forget about the negative and toxic people who don't deserve you. that sounds really good until you realize that maybe I've been one of those people to somebody else before, right? And so we've got this mold of the world's way, which there is some truth to it on the surface. So I'm not saying it's not all bad advice. I'm just saying there is a world's way. But the question is, is that God's way? Because, again, I think we feel like if I'm doing what's right, then my relationships should be smooth. And since they aren't smooth and since I am doing what's right, these are toxic people I've got to get rid of. And yet, as we read Scripture, I want you to hear something. I read that verse to start off with, which says, live peaceably with all, but I kind of tricked you a little bit because I didn't read all the verse. So if we back up and read all the verse, we see a wider picture, and it says this, if possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, it's saying that there are going to be times in your life where you're doing everything that it depends on you to live in peace, and there still may not be peace. But as far as it depends on you, your job is to live in peace. In fact, if we back it up even further, we can see a big contrast between the world's way of relationships and God's way. And so buckle your seatbelt, because this one gets even more interesting. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And how many you guys, this does not sound like the world's way, does it? The world's way is this. If you hit me, I'm going to hit back harder, right? You hit me, you better, you better watch out. You better be sitting down because you will be sitting down by the time I'm done with you, you know? And instead, it says, bless those who persecute you. I don't know about you, but many times, if I'm honest, my flesh doesn't want to bless those who persecute me. I want to curse those who curse me, right? How many of you guys have been there before? All right, just me. All right. The rest of you guys, bless you. Bless you right now. <laughs> I've preached three of these sermons now, so I'm done. <laughs> it says, bless those who, who, who persecute you. Bless them, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Wouldn't, wouldn't some of those include some of the negative, those who don't care? Wouldn't it, some of those include that? It says, Uh, Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, there are times when we think we're doing everything right. Scripture warns us, hold on. Maybe there's another side of the story. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Question, are there any exceptions to the word all? All. It means everybody. It means you're, the Bible talks about loving our enemies. The Bible talks about blessing those who persecute you, repaying no evil for evil. All. Oh, that means everybody. That means everybody you thought was the exception gets included in that. <laughs> that means everybody that you say, well, not, not that. No, that's in the all. That means public figures. Come on, somebody. That means everybody. That means Everybody. You realize that God's way is totally different than the world's way. It's totally different. And if we want to break the mold, we have to understand that. And there we go. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. How many of you guys had some coffee out there this morning? Anybody have some coffee? What I love about our coffee is we have a coffee named Full Vengeance. I just call it God's coffee, okay? And I'm drinking of God's coffee every single morning because vengeance is God's, saith the Lord. We leave it to him. If your enemy's hungry, it goes on. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. All this stuff. That, how many of you guys would just admit you struggle a little bit in this area? When the Bible talks about an enemy, it means the person who, who hates you, that you're to bless them, that you're to pray for them, I mean, there are no exceptions to this, guys. It, it means the person who you are tempted to hate. It means the person on the other side of the aisle. It means the person on the other side of political persuasion. It means the person of, that, that, that has been frustrating to you. It, it means that, that at all. This is why I asked the question at the beginning, how many of you guys hate where this sermon's going right now? <laughs> because we all struggle in this area. That's why the Bible says, as much as it depends on you. So what does it look like for us to live in peace? What are some of the keys? I want to talk about some of the keys when we are in a frustrating situation, when you're in a toxic relationship even, when you're in a challenging situation, what are some of the keys? How should we act? How should we live? Let's watch. Many times when we have problems in relationships and when we're struggling, and when we have tough times, we end up just reacting to something, uh, which if we're really honest, isn't really that healthy. And so Jacob, when he was faced with this dilemma where all of a sudden he's tricked and now he the wife he thought he was going to have, now he doesn't have her, he ends up doing something. Instead of just reacting, he ends up and he decides to respond. And that's really the key point, number one, which is it's about responding, not reacting. And so Jacob decides, hey, I'll work another seven years for Rachel and that's what he does. He ended up responding instead of reacting. The truth is this, that whenever we have tough times or pressure on the inside of us or things that happen to us, it's not that it makes or breaks the the light that's on the inside of us or the darkness that's on the inside of us. It simply reveals what was already there. If you want to see what somebody is really made of, don't look at them during the good times. Look at them during the pressure, when the pressure's on, because that's when the true character comes out. I unfortunately saw this in my own life not too long ago. I'm standing next to my sewage system. Now, I'm sure maybe you've heard pastors preach sewage before, but maybe you've never heard a pastor preach while standing next to sewage. So this will be a first for all of us today. Uh, The reason I'm standing here is because there's a story that happened a couple weeks ago, and it was late at night, and my wife and I, we were in a discussion uh, that went late into the night, and I ended up saying some things to her that I really wouldn't have. One had said to myself. And right about this time, the sewage in my house started backing up late at night. Now, this was just uh, like a little bit after I had preached on being the aroma. Of Christ, and so I don't know whether God was messing with me. If I were God, I would have started to mess with me with that. But all of a sudden, this sewage starts to back up into our house as well, and so it's just a hugely frustrating situation. And so I ended up the next day apologizing to my whole family, even if they didn't hear what I had said. To apologize to all of them and humbled myself, and it really was a humiliating time because I had to just surrender and say, "Hey, I I was wrong," and and really to to do all of that. was really, really humbling. And so if I would have just responded in the first place instead of reacting, then I wouldn't have to go through the humiliation. You see, when we, when we react, really what we're saying is this, that we're allowing the outside, whatever happens outside of us is really what is in control of us. When we're reacting, we're saying that we're at the mercy of what happens outside of us. But when we respond, what we're saying is that we've decided who we are and that we are going to live intentionally out of the initial deposit of the Holy Spirit, the the deposit of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us, that that's who we're going to live out of, that we're going to live out of the deposit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. See, when we respond, what we're saying is, I can manage me, regardless of what you do because i've decided who i am when we respond what we're saying is i'm going to i don't have to surrender who i am because of anything that you do when we respond we're saying that i can offer you grace because i've decided that i'm going to live out of who i've established myself to be in christ now many times what we do though is we end up saying that our peace is going to rise and fall based on the actions of others. We keep our joy in someone else's head and their thoughts towards us. But the truth is, I can have the fruit of the Spirit living on the inside of me and I can have love, joy, peace, patience, all of that happening because it's not dependent on what happens outside of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God working on the inside of me. But the only way this happens is when we truly believe Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's not about reacting. It's about responding. How many times do we just end up reacting in relationships? And because of that, we're basically saying everything, I'm not in control. Everything else is in control. But how many you guys believe the truth of scripture? It, it is true that the God that we are who we are in Christ and that we are settled in that. All right, point number two is this. When you're in a difficult situation, it's about reconciliation, not being right. Now, truth matters in relationships, no doubt. But when we're talking about having offenses and we're talking about trouble and we're talking about even toxic type situations, whenever we have a situation like that, God's way is about reconciliation, not about, well, I'm right and you're wrong. There's a famous passage of Scripture that deals with this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Now, first, let me just note this. This context is in the context of believers. This isn't saying when anyone offends you, go and and point it out to them. And too many times, believers are going out and, and confronting unbelievers, saying, you're wrong about this, you're wrong about that. This is talking about in the context of believers with believers. So let's get that straight from the beginning. Go privately, point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won the person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. Now, if you're having trouble in relationships right now, this is kind of a format that Scripture lays out. Now, I want to make it very clear before we go any further, though. I'm not talking about, and I don't believe Scripture is talking about, cases of extreme abuse, where there's safety issues involved, where you continue to go back over and over again in a place of harm. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about in everyday offenses and hurts and frustrations and tensions that happen and disagreements that happen between believers. So let's set the stage right. But I do believe there are six, at least six assumptions that this passage of Scripture is making. And I believe this separates uh, the world's way from God's way. So here they are. Number one, it assumes this, that the first action that you're going to take to deal with an offense is to talk to that person directly and privately. Now, too many times, the world's way is simply, you've done something wrong to me, so I'm going to point it out to you on Facebook. <laughs> you've done something wrong to me, so I'm going to go and get my, some of my buddies together, and we're going to have a little uh, coffee time prayer meeting to have a prayer meeting about how much wrong you've done to me, right? Instead of the, the Bible way, the God's way is, okay, I've, I've had an offense or I've offended. I'm going to go to that person directly and privately, Number one, that's what this passage assumes. Number two, it assumes, and this is key, that you are on the right side of the issue and that you've genuinely been wronged. See, too many times we get upset with something, and we think that gives us a reason to go and to make things right or make things our way. It's not talking about whether you're upset or not. It's talking about, has there been a genuine wrong committed? Just because you're upset doesn't mean I've got to go and stir up things or go and make somebody know that I'm upset. Sometimes we just have to deal with our feelings and our emotions and get them back in line with the Word of God. Come on, can somebody say amen to that? That's so important. Number three, it assumes this. That two or three other mature, solid believers, not your gossip buddies, but two or three solid, mature believers would see clearly that you have been wronged and they would be willing to go with you to make things right and to settle it together. That's key. It's not just about your opinion. It's about that this has really happened. It also assumes this, number four, that the leadership of the church would also see clearly that a wrong has been committed, And that this is a big enough issue for the church leadership to get involved, if it got to that level, to come in and give direction and correction. Number five is so key as well. This assumes, if you're going to follow after God's way, it assumes that you are going to the person for the purpose of winning the relationship back. For the purpose of reconciling the relationship, not just pointing out rights and wrongs. If you read that carefully, that's what the scripture is talking about, that your whole purpose in going is, yes, there's been a wrong committed, but what we want to do is reconcile our relationship. That's the most important thing, not condemnation. And then number six, it assumes this, if you're going to follow after this pattern, that real believers repent when they're wrong. So this is, I mean, this isn't just, I'm upset, you did something wrong, now let me tell you what you did wrong. See, that's the world's way. I'm going to lash out. I'm going to react. But God's way is about reconciliation, not not even about rightness. Even though truth is important, truth matters. But it's really more important about the relationship. Now, let me even say another note. This is going to be even harder for us to hear. But before you do any of this, we should have already decided before we go to the person, we've already pre-decided to forgive them, no matter what they say. We aren't going there trying to see how's this going to play out. We have already pre-decided in our heart that our goal is to win the relationship, to reconcile, yes, to make people know and maybe bring some healing, but we have already pre-decided to forgive them no matter what happens from there on out. And do you realize, how many of you guys have ever had somebody come up to you before and say, hey, I just want to let you know that you did this thing, and uh, they didn't even know they did anything, right? Have you guys ever had anything happen where somebody comes up to you, you didn't even know you offended somebody, and somebody says, hey, I just want you to know that you offended me and you hurt me really bad, and I know you didn't really know that you did, but I forgive you anyway. The flesh in me wants to go boom, you know, at that point. Because now you've created an offense in me. And now i got to go through the process with you, right? No, but I can manage who I am because I who I am in Christ. Don't do that, okay? And, and the point is this. If you've already pre-decided to forgive someone, and they don't even know that they've committed a wrong, there may not even be a need for you to meet with them. You may be able to just move on and release in fact, some of you right now, that may be the case. You're upset about something. People don't even know they've done that. You know what? If your goal is reconciliation, to win the relationship, to have a right heart before God, it may, you may not even need to have a conversation. You just may simply need to forgive. And by doing that, you're going to walk out a whole lot freer than when you walked in. That's what the power of God and God's way can do versus the world's way. This is why it's so important. There's a story, a famous story that I heard uh, a long time ago, and it's about the famous coach, Vince Lombardi. How many of you guys heard of Vince Lombardi? Lombardi trophy, Super Bowl trophy, which we're going to take home this year, right? Um, so that's the biggest amen some of you had. You need to go back and repent to Jesus right now. <laughs> Vince Lombardi, one of the, I mean, one of the greatest coaches of all time. His team lost to an inferior team. They shouldn't have lost. And so that next day, he comes in to his group of guys. These are guys who their whole life is about football. If they know anything, it's football. In fact, the only thing they may know is football. This is what they've dedicated their life to since they were kids. They are grown men who know everything about football. They're playing at an elite level. Vince Lombardi comes into that group of guys and he holds up a football and he says, gentlemen, this is a football Now, how many guys might feel a little bit insulted if you were in that situation? I mean, if you're like, we're playing at an elite, of course we know what a football is. Of course, he knew that they knew what a football was. He just wanted to remind them that no matter how far they get along, you can never forget the basics. And he took them from the very ground up of building back to the basics to get them winning again. What I want you to know today is what I'm talking about Is the basics. If the gospel message is anything, it's a message of forgiveness. And if we want to win in life, we will never get beyond having to come back to this basics of this is the gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he forgave us. This is the basics. We can go far and we can try to do all this stuff, but if we can't get this going on in our life, we're not going to go very far in the end. This is the basic, this is, the, the, this is forgiveness. Does that mean that every relationship that you have right now is a lifetime relationship? No. If you're married, yes, but beyond that, does that mean that every relationship is healthy, that there aren't people that you have to sometimes cut out? And I'm not saying that. I'm saying as much as it depends on you, live in peace. Walk godly. Walk through the process. Walk through God's way, not the world's way not everybody is for you. In fact, I was having a conversation with one of my kids. We were talking about marriage, and we were talking about this future spouse and all that type of stuff, and, and they were asking, they said, well, dad, there's not just like one right person for you, right? In all of the planet, all the seven billion people, we were just kind of having a discussion. There's not just one right person, right? So that means there could be, it could be anybody. And I said, no, there's not just like one right person, and we were, talking later on you know like if you if you're driving and you're supposed to meet the right person today but you took a wrong turn because you wanted a, a slurpee from qt you know it's it's not like now your life is screwed up forever because you missed the one opportunity to meet the one right person and now it's just over no it's not how it works there's not just one right person but i did say this i said but there are wrong people there are not everybody's the right person And so I say that to qualify what I'm saying, that yes, there are times in our life where we we can't just say, well, every relationship has got to be in my life. But what I'm saying is that God gives us a pattern for us to live peaceably with every relationship in our life. Eventually, Jacob had to depart from his father-in-law because they couldn't quite see eye to eye. But as much as it depended on Jacob, he tried to live in peace. And there's a way for us to do that. Even in our marriages, it's, it's about reconciliation, not about being right. Jimmy Evans talks about this even in our conversations, how we can demonstrate that it's not even about the issue. It's not about being right all the time. It's more about our relationships. So let's watch Jimmy Evans.
1: Well, fighting in marriage, that, that's not really the problem. It's how we fight. Uh, every couple is gonna have disagreements and every couple has to talk things out. Problems come in marriage when we're having issues and we're fighting, but we don't resolve it. And so issues build up, anger builds up, frustration, mistrust, and all of a sudden you just have this toxic waste in your marriage that you're not processing out. So there's nothing wrong with fighting per se, as long as you can resolve your issue. But here's how to stop a fight. You have to begin every confrontation with positive words. Research has proven a conversation never rises above the level of the first three minutes. So you're angry, you know, you come at your spouse, you say, let me just tell you something right now, you always do this and I'm so frustrated with you and this and this and this, you make accusations. You might as well stop talking. You're you're not going to resolve that conversation because of a harsh startup is that you came at them and they're gonna automatically be defensive. The way you start a conversation that's going to be a good fight that you're going to be able to resolve is to say i love you we're on the same team i think the world of you I, I, you know I'm, I'm hurting right now but let me tell you how i feel in other words i'm not trying to dictate reality to you and impose my feelings on you i'm saying this may not be right but can i tell you how i'm feeling if you start out with positive words and share your feelings rather than attacking your spouse you're going to be able to process that much easier. Every time you process that, you're learning how to get rid of the toxic waste in your relationship and make sure that the garden of your love is always growing. Can you see how just even in a
0: simple way, it's demonstrating that our relationship, and I'd say this in marriage, relationship in marriage, a relationship is more important than the issue. Let me say that again. In a marriage, a rela- your relationship is more important than the issue. I can say it even further, though. Even in friendships, do you realize that most of the time the relationship is, is more important than whatever issue we're, we're struggling with? I mean, among believers, we can get caught up in the nuance of theology and the, the different styles and all that type of stuff. But you know what? It's really the relationship is more important than the issue. If you want to win somebody to Christ, an unbeliever, I guarantee you the relationship is going to be more important than the issue. As the saying goes, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you can't fake caring. It's genuine. you, you got to... It's the relationship is more important than the issue. Number three, thought number three is this. If you're struggling in a relationship, it's about releasing them and not revenge. Because... Many times if we have been wronged, we want to settle the score. There's something natural in us that wants us to even it out. And we know that's, that's wrong, but there's still something in us. And some of you, you've maybe had a, a situation in the past and you've tried to forgive before and you're wondering, well, how do I know if I've truly forgiven? How do I know what it would feel like if I'd forgiven? How would I know the fruit of forgiveness? And and one of the ways that you can know, first of all, there's two things I want to say about this. First of all, forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision by faith of the will based on the word of God and the download of God's power in your life to be able to choose to forgive by faith. And you may not feel like forgiving, but you can still choose to forgive. You, you may not have any feeling, but, but one of the ways you can start to know that it's starting to bear fruit in your life is this. If you, when you think about the person, the situation, the situation, Do you have thoughts of compassion towards them? Do you have thoughts of of good thoughts, godly thoughts, patient thoughts? Do you have uh, kind thoughts towards them? Do you have uh, humble thoughts towards them? If you do, then you're kind of on the backside of of the fruit of of, of forgiveness playing itself out because that, that feeling will come. But I want to encourage you, even if you're not on that side of it today, you can still make a decision of your will by faith right now to forgive. Some of you are struggling because you, feel, you still feel those thoughts that stir up anger. You still feel those thoughts that stir up resentment or justifying. You know, that may be a cue that you haven't forgiven. It may be a cue that you just need to continue to stand in faith, knowing that you've made a decision by faith. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it's accepting what's wrong and as if it were right. Forgiveness is simply this, it's a release of your retaliation. It's saying that even though I may have a reason to retaliate against you, I'm giving up my right for revenge because of the grace of God that's in my life. Forgiveness is is really about reclaiming lost territory in our mind and our heart that has been sown into bitterness and roots of bitterness that now needs to belong to Jesus. It needs to have the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of bitterness in our heart. In Genesis chapter 31, Jacob, eventually he had to let God be his defender. Now, let me just speak real clearly. I've pastored this church for 12 years. I was a youth pastor for five years before that. I've seen my share of it being in leadership. And those of you guys who are in leadership, you kind of understand this, that so many times that there'll be different stories that happen of things that happened and you want to set the record straight. No, it didn't happen that way. And somebody might run with the story and say, well, this happened and he did this or she did that or the church did this. And there's been so many times in my life where that's happened. and I just wanted to tell my side of the story. But in leadership, you don't always get to tell your side of the story, especially in godly leadership, you don't always get to. Sometimes you just have to simply say, God, I trust that you are my defender. And that's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But I'm telling you, it's one of the most freeing things you'll ever do because what you're saying by that is you're saying, God, I know this is a situation where I could control the situation, but I trust you so much, I'm willing to let you control the situation. In leadership, you don't always get to tell your side of the story, but I would say even further, when you love other people, you don't always get to tell your side of the story. So many times you just have to simply say, God, I trust that you're my defender. Jacob had to eventually, if you can, you can read the story yourself, he had to eventually just say, God, I trust that you are my defender. And why do we do that? We do that because of this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 Work at living in peace with everyone, and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out, so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We don't want to have a poisonous root of bitterness in our heart. I want to have the worship team come back at this point. And I want to give you a way that's really helped me out to be able to walk with grace and humility in relationships. And I, I still struggle, obviously. I just shared some of it. But one of the things that really helped me out in relationships, I heard this story uh, a while ago, and, it, and I've shared it before, but it was about this Bible school teacher, this, this uh, Bible college teacher, this seminary professor, and he was getting up in front of a class. And he was getting ready to, to teach theology to a bunch of Bible students. And he gets up before the class starts, And he says, I'm going to teach you theology today. I'm going to to teach you what I know about the Bible. He said, here's the problem, though. 20% of what I'm going to tell you today is wrong. And they're like, I mean, we're here to learn. (laughs) You're a theology teacher. You're supposed to tell us what's right. He said, 20% of what I'm going to tell you today is wrong. He said, the problem is I don't know which 20%. You see, I've been following Jesus for a long time, and you know when I was younger, I'd, I'd study the Bible all I could, and I'm telling you, when I was younger, I thought, everything that I thought about Scripture, I was like, man, I'm 100%. This is what I see. This is what I believe. This is what I know is right. But now years have passed, and I've heard different perspectives. I've studied more. I've grown, and I've matured. And all of a sudden, the things that I was 100% sure about, then all of a sudden, I see a little bit more from a different perspective, a more mature perspective. I fill in some of the blanks. I read a little bit more. And all of a sudden, I realized, you know what? I wasn't 100% accurate on that. Problem was, I at the time, I felt 100% sure. And 20% of what I had believed was not correct. Problem is, I didn't know which 20%. And God, as I was thinking about that, God said, why don't you apply that to relationships in your life right now? Okay. Well, I'm looking at my relationships. Right now, I feel 100%. I've looked. I searched my heart, God. I, I, I've looked at my actions. I've searched my heart. I can't see anything that I've done wrong. I feel 100% like I'm doing what's right. And God said, what if there's 20%? Problem is, you don't know which 20%. You know what that causes me to do? It causes me to have grace towards other people. Because I realize, man, I feel right, but what if there's a 20%? What if a year from now I realize the 20%? And what if they're feeling from their 100%? What They feel 100% and they're not out to get me, but they're actually doing what they feel is right. And as far as they've searched their heart, as far as they've sought, they feel 100%. And what if I'm just experiencing their 20? It caused me to have grace towards other people. And so what I want to do is I want to do something as we close, something that's going to be very, very hard for us. It's going to cause pain for some of us, but I believe if we push through the pain, there will be some healing at the end. So could we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? And I'm going to ask you to do something that you're going to have to be brave to do. But if you do it, I think that something will happen when you do it. Because some of you, as I've been preaching this message, it wasn't very long before a face came up, before a situation popped in your mind that you knew you were struggling with. And others of you, that's happening right now as we go into this time of prayer. So we're gonna do something that I don't really believe is humanly possible to do without the help of Jesus. I mean, yeah, you could try to fake your way through. I'm just, I'm talking about what we're going to do right now, if we do it right, it's going to only be enabled by the power of Jesus. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray for that person, that situation, that circumstance. So right now, wherever that is, whoever that is, just begin to pray for them. Yeah, it's painful. Yeah, they, don't, they may not deserve it. Pray for them right now. Pray for them, but don't just pray generic prayers don't just pray prayers like, God, you know how bad they are. <laughs> help them. I'm talking about pray for them like you would pray for yourself. Pray for them like you would pray for your children. That requires something that you can't produce in your own emotions. That requires the help of God right now. So God, we just pray right now. Well, we pray for those who have maybe hurt us, people who don't who don't even really sometimes deserve prayer, it seems. But Lord, we pray for them right now that you would bless them right now where they're at. Lord, even though we've been wronged in some way, Lord, we pray that your joy would genuinely come to their life. Lord, we pray that healing would come. We pray that growth would come. Lord, we pray that they would succeed and prosper in all that they do. Listen, if, if any of my success is tied to some of their failure, then I'm still tied to the tormentor, as the Bible says. If any of your success, if any of your joy comes by seeing them fail, this is a sign that we've got to work on this and we've got to release and not get revenge. And not even not, not just revenge outwardly, but revenge in our private life or we release that revenge in our private life where we were tempted to celebrate when they fail lord we we re- repent of that and lord we want to be we want to demonstrate your kind of love Lord, we pray that they would experience people around them that would truly lift them up and make them better and not tear them down. Lord, we we pray that that even though things didn't go our way, Lord, we pray that in the next uh, season of their life that it will be their best season ever. They would be drawn closer to you than they ever have before. And if it's an unbeliever, Lord, we pray right now that they would come to know you that even though they've been walking in wicked ways and and maybe treating people wrongly, Lord, we pray that your love would pursue them right now just like it pursued us. Lord, we thank you that your grace is big enough for all of our sins and it's also big enough for all of theirs. So Lord, we just pray for them right now. We speak blessing over them right now. In Jesus' name. I want you to understand, I'm gonna say something that I've never heard anybody say before. I'm not talking, what I'm not talking about today, I'm not talking about how to have moral relationships. Godly relationships aren't moral relationships. Godly relationships go way beyond moral relationships. See, moral relationships have a sense of right and wrong and have a sense of fairness and just justification, and if I do this, this should happen next, that's a moral integrity relationship that if we walk this out, that this is what, how it plays out in relationships. And that's fine, that's good to a degree. But the problem is, if we just start to act like what our end goal is as believers, and I see a lot of this happening today in the Christian world, if our end goal is just to be moral fathers, moral dads, moral, moral people, moral friends, do you know where that's at? That's right down here. That's way down here. That's just, the, just getting on. What I'm talking about today is I'm talking about supernatural relationships. I'm talking about the kind of love that can only happen when you have the creator of the universe come on the inside of you and, and show his grace through you. Loving your enemy genuinely cannot happen in a moral relationship. It can't because there's the sense of fairness all breaks down. But yet we see this in the Bible. We see that God is a God that goes way beyond just a moral relationship. He enters into supernatural relationships where we don't deserve the grace that he gives us. God wants to work through us, not just so we're operating down here and just doing everything like this. He wants us to enter into a supernatural zone of grace, a supernatural zone of love, a supernatural zone of peace that doesn't make sense to the world. If an unbeliever could, uh, let me just say it this way. What God wants us to be as the church is something that an unbeliever could not do. And if an unbeliever could do it, it's not what the Bible's talking about. What the Bible talks about is supernatural fruit of the spirit on the inside of us. You have to have the spirit on the inside of you to have the fruit of it. When we talk about patience and love and all of these things, it's not natural patience and love. It's fueled by supernatural God. That's what makes us different. That's the kind of love that's missing in most families and churches and individuals, and I'm talking about believers. It's because we've settled for just if we just go by this level and God says, "Bless those who persecute you." Don't fake it, but genuinely Love your enemy, not faking it, not because you have to, but because you genuinely do. That only comes from the fruit of the supernatural God living on the inside of you. And so I'm gonna pray and just kind of seal this word with that today. And I know maybe I preach some people out of this church that are like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, just go back to the scripture. God wants us to have an otherworldly type of love. It's, it's said in the second century when the plagues of Rome were happening that all the doctors were fleeing and thousands were dying, that while that was happening, the Christians were rushing in to offer help and many of them died. That didn't make sense. That's an otherworldly type of love. To give your life for a stranger doesn't make sense on the fairness scales. It doesn't make sense on the, even on the morality scales. It's like, well, you got a family, you got, no. We're talking about an otherworldly type of love. This is the kind of love that Jesus has for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That while our backs were turned, that he gave his life. That even though we don't deserve grace, we could never earn grace, that he gives grace regardless of what we've done. That doesn't make sense in the fairness of relationships, but that's a supernatural love. So what God is asking us to do is to walk in supernatural love, supernatural peace, supernatural forgiveness. He's asking us to do that. And if you want to try to do that on your own, you're going to feel like a miserable failure. You're going to come to church and you're going to feel like, man, I've tried and tried and I can't do it in my own strength. Absolutely. You discovered it. You can't do it in your own strength. You lean into Jesus. So God, we thank you so much right now for your grace and for your supernatural love that if you would have acted in the sense of fairness or even morality towards us it would have been good on one level but it would have almost it, it would have been incomplete you went way beyond the norm thank you for your supernatural grace thank you for your otherworldly love thank you for your heart for us and lord i just pray right now that as these words have been spoken that heal, healing would come Forgiveness would be released. The grace would come in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship one more time.